Welcome to the Physics Central Podcast. I'm Calico Field. Today on the podcast, the Earth's magnetic field has served as a major navigational tool for centuries. But there's one big problem with it. It moves. It's like trying to orient yourself with a mountain that never stays in one place. It's taken a few hundred years, but a new theory may finally explain why our magnetic field tends to wander. That's today on the Physics Central podcast. Okay, imagine you're a map maker. You head out into an uncharted stretch of wilderness and you mark down every tree and every boulder, every hill and valley, and you make a really great map. And you give it to travelers and they use it to find their way through this wilderness. And your map is a success. But some time goes by and then someone contacts you and says, your map is wrong. That hill that you noted, it's not where you said it was. It's actually over there. And that valley is in the wrong place as well. So you go talk to other map makers and you find out that they have the same problem. It seems that large portions of the landscape are shifting. This is not a fictional tale. This actually happened to map makers in the 18th century. But they weren't mapping land. They were mapping the Earth's magnetic field, and they observed that particularly near the Earth's equator, the magnetic field was drifting westward. I mean, it's not a huge difference. If you were just out hiking with your compass, you would not notice a difference. But if you did want to use really precise measurements of the magnetic field for navigational purposes on ships, then even then, they were measuring things to enough accuracy that they, A, realized even in just a few decades, things clearly change, and B, they change by enough that it messes up what they had hoped for navigation purposes to do. This is Reiner Hollerbach. He's a professor in the Department of Applied Mathematics at the University of Leeds, and he studies how the Earth's magnetic field is created. If someone has a good moral compass, it usually means they're always guided in the right direction. Something inside them is steady and reliable and pointing them toward the true north. It's true that a compass needle anywhere on the surface of the Earth will point toward the magnetic north pole. But the Earth's magnetic field is actually far from steady or reliable. It changes over time and depending on where you are. And people who use it for navigation have to adjust to that. Now, when these 18th century navigators first discovered that the magnetic field was moving, they noticed that it wasn't everywhere. It's mainly near the Earth's equator that you see this westerly drift of the magnetic field. And that probably made zero sense to them at the time. But today, we know that the Earth's magnetic field comes from its liquid iron core. So knowing that the magnetic field comes from a liquid means that it makes more sense that certain sections can move while other sections stay steady. Just like stirring a glass of water, each individual blob can move differently from its neighbors. And so parts of the outer core 
would tend to to rotate in a slightly more westerly direction. The question is, what is stirring the Earth's magnetic field? What's making it drift in that westerly direction? Hollerbach and his colleagues think they have an answer. They recently published a paper in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences where they propose a solution to this mystery of the moving magnetic field. As I said, the Earth's magnetic field originates in the core of the Earth, but not in the very center. The very center of the Earth is a region called the inner core. Well, unlike the surface of the Earth, where it's mostly rock and so on, the Earth's core is iron, and the inner core is solid. It's a giant sphere of radius over a thousand kilometers of just solid iron. This solid ball of iron burns at over 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And at that temperature, iron should melt. But the core is under so much pressure that the liquid iron is forced back into being a solid. So we have this hefty, hot, solid inner core, and wrapped around that inner core is a region called the outer core. And then the outer core is over 2,000 kilometers thick layer of molten iron. The pressure is low enough in the outer core that the iron remains a liquid. In that outer core region, you have fluid motions. Because it is fluid, the whole thing can just flow. And that combination of fluid motions in an electrically conducting fluid, it turns out that can generate magnetic fields. Students of physics might know that when you have an electric current and a magnetic field together, you also get a force. It's an electromagnetic force, so it will only act on another conducting material. So, for example, something like an electric motor works on that principle. You have an assembly of wires, and you run an electric current down the wires, and you have an appropriately arranged magnetic field, and the combination then pushes the wire in a certain way and causes your electric motor to spin. Knowing that the magnetic field can exert a force gives us a possible mechanism for this westward motion. Scientists had the idea that maybe the magnetic field, which comes from the outer core, is pushing on the inner core. It's like two people on roller skates. If one of them pushes the other one, they're both going to start moving, but in opposite directions. Over the last few decades, scientists have confirmed that the inner core of our planet rotates in an easterly direction. So that's a good indication that this hypothesis is on the right track. That would certainly be the prediction that whatever these two phenomena do, it should be correlated in some sense. Hollerbach and his colleagues needed to show that the Earth's magnetic field could generate enough force to cause the rotation of both layers. And this kind of curved motion around an axis is called a torque. So the scientists wanted to see if the torque of the inner core and the torque of the outer core sort of matched up, if it made sense that they were caused by the same thing. So the team built a computer model of the Earth. 
Now, the problem with computer models of the Earth is that they're extremely large and extremely complex. Just writing a computer program like that from scratch, it can easily take a year or more. And once you have it, yes, then you need, well, you need access to a big supercomputer and you need a lot of time. And yes, potentially it could be months or years of supercomputer time that, that you have to use to really address some of these questions. Unfortunately, this means that a lot of computer models of the Earth have to leave out details. Otherwise, it would just take way too long to build them and run them. For example, the liquid outer core actually flows a lot like water. But most models assume that it behaves more like honey. They assume that it doesn't move a lot because it's just easier to model something that doesn't move. But of course, that means the model isn't quite reflecting the real motion of the outer core. And that's one of the variables that Hollerbach and his team needed to focus on. So they made a compromise. What we said is, okay, if we do really simplify the physics and we cut out a lot of things that we hope anyway are not so important to this particular question of the torque balances, then we can make the viscosity, well, a factor of 100 anyway, smaller than the best full models. So we're closer in the right direction. And with this particular model, they were able to show that the torques balance out, that the force of the Earth's magnetic field could reasonably account for the motion of the inner and outer core. So what we have done is to suggest, anyway, a possible link between those two otherwise separate phenomena. We're suggesting that if you look at the torque balances throughout the entire core, then it turns out, if you just match up all the different torques and see what balances where, the torque on the inner core largely balances the torque in the appropriate regions of the outer core, so that those two phenomena are linked. So this is a really promising conclusion, but it doesn't close the book on this mystery. Because like I said, the computer model was more detailed in some ways, but it was simpler in others. So what Hollerbach and his team would like to see happen is for other scientists to take their conclusion and work it into larger and more complex computer models. If the theory holds up in those computer models, then it might be time to look for some observational data. Unfortunately, that will take some time. The problem, of course, is that all of these things change only on the timescale of decades to centuries even. So I can already say now you're not going to see a change next year or the year after that. But it is possible that 20 or 30 years from now you might see enough of a change in both of those phenomena that you could even begin to say, okay, they have changed in the predicted way. It will be frustrating, no doubt, to wait that long to see if this theory holds up in observational data. But patience is a key virtue of science if you ever want to find out what's happening right beneath your feet. 
That's all for the Physics Central podcast. I'm Calla Cofield. As always, you can find more podcasts, our Physics Buzz blog, resources, and so much more at physicscentral.com. Tune in next week for more of the Physics Central podcast. Thank you.